All right, so this is one of those uh, walks through a dialogue with a Protestant that I figured I would shoot again. Um, again, some people seem to like seeing how these debates go. Uh, generally, it ends with them slamming the door in my face. This one did as well. It actually started very positively. Uh, she is a moderator. Uh, shoot, I was trying to... I was trying to protect her identity. Or protect her identity. I changed her name to POCD admin, but which is uh, Protestant Orthodox Catholic debate, which is the group that I was in. Anyway, whatever. Um, please respect her privacy. Uh, I might try and download this and blur that out later, but whatever. So originally, I had shared this post, and the conversation I had about it was pretty ridiculous. Uh, it was a post talking about the, the crucifixion of Jesus and um, it was making a point um, about him evoking Elijah and how people understood him to be doing that, which showed that even in that day, evoking the prophet uh, was something that was not unheard of, but she actually, not this lady, but another one um, had a huge hissy fit because she thought that this was like a naked picture of Jesus and was utterly blasphemous and disrespectful. I actually have that conversation saved in this thread. Uh, so let me pull it up really quickly and I'll read that and then we'll jump back in. So she says, Justin West, the Lord Jesus Christ rebuke you for that humiliating, totally naked picture of supposedly Jesus. You are disgusting beyond words and are exposed yourself. And if you do not remove this pic post haste, I shall have it removed for you. I thought that was pretty strongly worded. So I said, one, it's not naked. Two, it's from a Lutheran site. I thought it was a fascinating artistic portrayal. Then I said, you're the mod. This is your form. If you really want me to change it, I will. But please look at it again. He's not naked. Also, in all reality, he probably would have been crucified naked. Anyway, please reconfirm if you want me the image switched, and I'll switch the image. How dense are you? She replies. Is my language not clear enough? To which I said, I wanted you to reconsider, given that he's not in fact naked, but I also humbly submit to your judgment as you are a mod and I am not. Liar! To which I said, wow, I've changed it in humble deference to you, but that was respectfully painted and not even painted by a Catholic, by a Lutheran. And then the next thing I posted was basically asking her to apologize for calling me a liar and that there was no reason for that at all. Obviously that didn't happen. Um, but I brought this up to another admin because I wanted her to see, uh, this was literally, uh, it's, it's 11.20 right now. Um, this was literally yesterday at 11.04 AM. So literally 24 hours ago, it's a question, is this image disrespectful and or nude? Uh, one of the mods gave me a hard time about it and I thought that it was beautiful. I took it down in deference for being a mod, but I wanted to appeal it. She said, Christians are normally offended by continuing to place Jesus on the cross. He came off that cross in victory. This is perceived as him never attaining the victory over death. To which I quoted, naturally, St. Paul, uh, I preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But her big issue was that I thought she said it was naked, which it clearly isn't. She said, what you preach has nothing to do with this picture. The picture speaks a thousand words and shows no victory said, I disagree 100%, but if that's your judgment too, then I yield. She said, look, I block pick that offends Catholics. Just keep it down, which literally every day there's like 15 or 20 posts attacking Catholics and making up claims against uh, what it is that they believe. Uh, and she said, I can't tell you how many demonic pics of the Pope I have deleted. So, you know, 
I haven't seen them. But if I if she's blocked him well, then that would make sense why I haven't seen them. So if she's done that, then I thank her, I guess. At the end of the day, though, and I said this personally, I don't care if someone posts an offensive picture. I do care about slander or libel. Uh, but also, she called me a liar in the context of the discussion about Jesus being naked or not. And I would appreciate an apology from her. Not that I expect to get it, but I believe she's clearly in the wrong. At the very least, I think I behaved. There's that message I just shared with you guys. Uh, I think I behaved reasonably. Yes, we have a vehement disagreement in debate forms, but that's no excuse for libel and incivility. Anyway, I'll just leave this alone for now. I just wanted to bring it to your attention. Peace of Christ. Pax Christi. She says, thanks for bringing it to my attention. I appreciate your respect for authority. You know, that seemed like it went well. And then later on, I couldn't post. <laughs> and I said, and I'm blocked. Just out of curiosity. She says, yes. I said, just out of curiosity. Do you know why? She says, you are blocked because I've been telling you that you are teaching lies against scripture. You are making things up. You ignore me and continue doing so. I am hoping to make some time to check your teachings with scripture and see if they line up. If it's added material or contradicting, it's false. So we had gotten to a discussion. They wanted to know, and I've shared this with you guys on this channel, um, what Catholics believe. I have a really long, it's like a 50 minute long video on what we believe about Mary. And she had a couple of big questions, you know, where do you get this idea of Mary being the spouse of the Holy Spirit, right? And it's, it's a, it's a symbolic title. She, there wasn't like a marriage or a wedding ceremony or whatnot, but literally she bore the son of God, uh, impregnated by the Holy Spirit uh, in the first century. They would have understood that, which is one of the many reasons we understand uh, her to have lived a chaste relationship with St. Joseph. I have a whole video about Mary and it talks about that as well, uh, going through all of the different lines in scripture that people use for uh, claiming that she is uh, she had other children with Joseph and then giving, uh, I think, a pretty sound Catholic response. Feel free to watch it and let me know what you think. But anyway, so she said that and I said, so I've been blocked because I'm disagreeing with your infallible interpretation of scripture. Got it. I, and I, I got a little snarky here. I said, I thought you were one of the more open-minded people who supported the debate. I, I dictated. I guess I was wrong. She said, and don't strip verses of their context. This is what gives them their proper interpretation. You are disagreeing with biblical interpretation. You can't just teach whatever you dream up. We have enough Jim Jones. And I said, the stuff that I'm dreaming up, at this point, not knowing what she was talking about, but just, you know, I may have defending the Catholic beliefs for two weeks on this board. The stuff that I'm dreaming up has been the consistent teaching of 2,000 years of Christian tradition. Pulling scripture out of context is when you find a verse that talks about faith and you make that the linchpin of your theology, even when there is faith alone, Sola Fide, even when there's other quotes that clearly say that we are judged by our works and can even merit heaven or hell uh, based on those works, you are guilty at the very least of the same crime you've accused me of. So she says, show me the catechism says Mary is the wife of the Holy Spirit, which I do. 494, uh, behold, Hammy Lord, thus giving her consent to God's words, Mary becomes the mother of Jesus, espousing the divine will for salvation wholeheartedly without a single sin to restrain her. She gave herself entirely to the person and the works of her son, and she did so in order to serve the mystery of God's redemption. The word espousing uh, can mean a couple of different things, but if you Google it, uh, shoot, I can't do that in this, in this window because um, I'm only recording this one tab, but if you Google it, uh, the, the first definition is to adopt or to support Right. But the archaic word uh, for, for espousing and, and the Catholics, you know, we're a little archaic sometimes, most certainly can mean um, espousing. And I'll give a couple others here. So uh, Irenaeus talks about her becoming obedient, um, her obedience to every virgin. Um, let's see here. Uh, I included this one for a reason. I don't remember. I think I actually I might have. Oh, no, never mind. That's actually just part of the catechism. <laughs> so I didn't I just copied the whole paragraph and, and that was there. Um, 
And then she also says, I am, no, I'm not in reference to pulling scripture to context. Of course, we are judged by our works. That's the Bema seat of Christ. Uh, this is a phrase that drives me. Like, it sounds so weird. The Bema seat. Like, I understand what they're talking about. I understand what comes from scripture, but I'm not a big fan of it. Or Bema seat, Bema seat, however you say it. Uh, that's where we gain or lose rewards. That has nothing to do with the great white throne of life and death. You simply don't know enough to be teaching. Show me the catechism where it says John dancing before the Lord like David did. I mean, this is, this is looking at scripture. Um, and I give her a link to this as well, um, right here. And then I show her, uh, you know, Mary being likened to the ark is a, it's a clear reference. If you read Luke one and then you read and, and Mary's travels, not just the part about Elizabeth and Zechariah, but you read Mary's travels in Luke one, and then you read second Samuel six. And Luke is very clearly paralleling Mary and the ark and their travels. Uh, and you can even find the early church fathers, you know, from the two hundreds, uh, you know, 213 or so. Uh, this is the persecuted martyr church of Christ making these sorts of claims. The Holy Virgin is in truth the ark, right? And and there's so many different parallels. Again, I have a whole thing about Mary being the new ark. Go watch it. Um, but literally, I was just showing her uh, in history, in scripture, uh, and in tradition where these are. So I gave her exactly what she asked for. Uh, prove to me these things have been taught for 2,000 years. So obviously, I can't show you. First off, Christianity hasn't been around 2,000 years, but that's me taking a ridiculously literist interpretation of what it is she has to say. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I just keep poking back because she keeps having these sorts of claims that have no merit in Scripture. And this is what happens when you have... Uh, your own personal interpretation and you take it as the infallible word of God. That's what they keep doing. And I even explain here, you know, there wasn't a, an actual wedding ceremony for Mary in the spirit. It's symbolic. Here's a short blurb from a reputable Catholic source uh, talking about, you know, this. And literally it, what it shows is, is the, the idea of symbolic marriage. Uh, you can follow the link. If you Google Catholic.com, Holy Spirit, Mary's spouse or something like that. Um, and talks about how, you know, in scripture, in lots of places, we see God talked about as the bridegroom, you know, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, Jesus is clearly the bridegroom in the Old Testament. God speaks of Israel as a, as an unfaithful spouse. Uh, and so clearly the idea of God wedded to his people uh, already makes sense. And if Mary is the first Christian, uh, the one who received uh, Jesus, not only into her heart, but even into her womb. And again, I have a whole topic, a whole video about this. It's really long. It's like 55 minutes or whatever. <laughs> Uh, that would make her the first of the church in a real sense, the first Christian, the first member of the church. And so she is the first of the church uh, to whom Jesus uh, ultimately is the bridegroom or towards whom Jesus is the bridegroom. And then I gave a quote from uh, the mid 700s, you know, the, the, the 8th century here. And it says it's from John Damascene. And he talks about um, it was fitting that God's mother should possess what belongs to her son, that he should, she should be honored creature. Um, or is it, it was fitting that the spouse whom the father had taken to himself should live in divine mansions. It was fitting that she who had seen her son upon the cross and who had thereby received into her heart the sword of sorrow, which she had escaped when giving birth to him, should look upon him as he sits with the father. It was fitting that God's mother should possess what belongs to her son and that she should be honored by every creature. So again, I mean, this is over a thousand years old. This is not a new teaching, right? Is this, this particular quote obviously isn't from 280 or 180. I always prefer to quote uh, pre-Nicene fathers, because, you know, one of the big claims is, well, when Constantine made Christianity legal, it changed Catholicism. And absolutely it did, um, not necessarily for the worst. In fact, this is one of my favorite proofs. In the Old Testament, God tells the Jews that he's going to give them, uh, you know, nation they didn't build, farmlands they didn't plow. But he does it in the Old Testament uh, through their obedience in battle. Uh, but in the New Testament, he gives the entire Roman Empire to the church and they don't lift a sword. Think about that. Anyway, 
I said, at the very least, you can see these are common beliefs held well before 1517 or Trent or whatever. Prove to me that every Christian belief must be found explicitly in the Bible and then show me where the canon is listed in Scripture. And this is the point. Any 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 Protestant, and, and I, again, I'm not trying to pick on my Protestant brothers and sisters, but this is a weakness in your argument that you have to be able to come to terms with, is there just isn't this in Scripture. It's not. So the idea of sola scriptura, um, it doesn't make sense. It is logically a bankrupt notion, even though it's the notion that you take as the seat of your faith. But she's going to try and prove to me that Sola Scriptura is legit. And so we're going to have a little conversation here. She says, I specifically asked for catechism. You don't, and I gave her catechism, says you don't care for credibility. You just pick and choose any Catholic, whether the church has sanctioned them or not. Again, that's not how tradition works um i said you can't do either of those that was in reference to this she she posted before i could post and she said i gave you a catechism quote scripture is truth it's the only truth spoken by god so if someone contradicts it or is added it's not truth and i would agree with the idea that if it's contradicted it's it's, it's wrong we don't contradict truth what i would maintain is that we don't contradict truth but on their limited understanding of scripture in a very literalist reading of the passages they want to take literally uh, and a figurative leading figurative reading on the passages they want to take figuratively uh you know you can make the claim that we uh contradict it but if you understand it correctly and again that's not a matter of personal interpretation um we don't, right? So she says, I want catechism for everything. Show me how the catechism is not additional information or lines up with scripture. I don't think I actually read this line initially. So I didn't give her a full response, but the whole idea is scripture and tradition. Catechism just flows out of, out of uh, tradition. And honestly, the catechism is just a document. It's not even, it's not an infallible document. The catechism is a very useful summary of the beliefs of the Catholic church. It's laid out in a very well-organized format. And I recommend everybody, Christian, every Christian read it. Um, you know, like, well, why do we need to read about what Catholics believe? Most of it is just summaries of what the church believed for 2000 years. And most of that is, is pre-Protestant stuff. So if you want to understand how Christians throughout the centuries have understood things like salvation and the sacraments, read it. You will grow in deepening in your faith because all it really is, is a document that summarizes uh, 2000 years of tradition, looking at church councils, looking at church fathers and giving quotes uh, of various passages that support um, the, the claims that, that the Catholic church makes, obviously. Um, I said, bear in mind that she bore a child by the Holy spirit in this day and age. We have many out of wedlock mothers. I'm the son of one myself. Uh, but not back then. It was very natural to draw the inference that she had been espoused by the Holy spirit. I said, I've given you tons of scripture referring, not just I said, go watch that video. I shot to the end again, the same video I've referenced in this video, uh, three or four times to which she says, your scriptures are out of context. Scholars would ignore you. That's a sweeping statement. And I said, if you can't prove to me that every Christian belief must be found explicitly in the Bible and then show me where the canon is listed in scripture, your whole argument is invalid anyway. That's right. You are infallible in your interpretation. I said, it's, this is tongue in cheek response to what she says here. So I, had, I was writing this as she wrote this. So she hit this and then I hit enter and then I answered her. Sometimes in these, it's hard to see the, the interplay of uh, discussions. So you can see these happened at the same time. Uh, she says, read this again. Scripture is truth. It's the only truth spoken of by God. So if something contradicts or is added, it's not truth. And I said, that's right. You are infallible. It's your interpretation. But when I show a clear parallel, I'm wrong. Do you disagree with that comment? This comment here. 
Scripture is truth. It's the only truth spoken of God. And I said, show me that in Scripture, the latter part. It's the only truth spoken of by God. I can show you Christ promising the Holy Spirit to the church in John 14 and 16 to lead them in all truth. I can show you Jesus giving men authority to bind and loose. But I cannot say, I cannot find Jesus saying, Bible only, guys. She says, yes, but you cannot prove the CC is that church. Yeah, you really can, because you can see the roles of their bishops. Uh, and I said, you can't find Jesus saying Bible only, guys. That is a man-made tradition, and you've taken it as your foundation rather than Christ. Again, I hate the way that Messenger uh, displays this stuff, because it really is kind of confusing. But anyway, uh, and then she gives me Proverbs 36. Had not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be fair. I says, how does that prove your case, Proverbs 30? Don't alter the words of God. Seems like a good concept. Doesn't prove sola scriptura because it can't. Sola scriptura isn't biblical. He wants nothing added to his words. You can't grasp that. And I said, that's why God had prophets. They spoke with the spirit. Elijah was a prophet who wrote nothing, uh, but some of his works were later recorded. And I was going to make a point, and right here is when the uh, the cable guy came and I had to leave our conversation for a minute, but I had actually started writing about Caiaphas prophesying, even as he was condemning Jesus to death in John 11, I think it is. Uh, it's, it's fascinating because John explicitly tells us that because he was the high priest for that year, he was able to prophesy that it's better for one man to die for a nation than that the whole nation should perish. And that he was literally explaining what God was about to do, even as he was condemning Jesus to death, which I always found fascinating. So anyway, she starts in a big, long exposition. And... I'm going to, I'll read this in context. I'm just going to scroll down because all of this is down here in a big, long answer. So I'm just going to skip over it for a minute. Um, other than this, she's like, uh, once I start giving you scriptures, you leave. Hmm. And then finally I came back and said, well, well because I have a life, I was holding my 11 month old when the cable guy came and killed her internet, but whatever useful fiction, dot, 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 feeling snarky. And then I said, I'll respond. She says, well, you're in a nasty mood. And I said, uh, I also have to take care of life. Honestly, I'm not in a nasty mood. I'm just snarky. That's why I shoot videos like this right here. Because uh, it's hard to tell mood just from context. Again, uh, interpreting text is difficult because you can't always get all of the meaning. Hence that whole video I had uh, about how your interpretation of scripture sucks. <laughs> and she says here, you know, we all have lives. Don't feel so alone. Uh, I don't really know why she said that because I wasn't feeling alone. But I, I guess I appreciated the sympathy. Uh, but I said, you know, that's why I shoot videos. So it's hard to tell text or tell mood just from text. In fact, I just shot a whole video about that. And here it is. Your interpretation of scripture sucks, but so does mine. And it's kind of a fun, snarky title to get people to go. What is he talking about here? And I said, I'll respond when we get a chance. I work from home, internet marketing, et cetera. And our internet had been dying. I was trying to get it fixed. So you know, 24 hours before the part comes in, it's a new router. But I was just trying to reply to what I took as a snarky comment with equal amounts of snark. She says, mine was a nice snarky. Yours was smarmy. And I said, okay, boss. Yours was smarmy. Mine was nice, snarky, LOL. And then here's where I respond. So this is everything up here that she just posted. I think I might have truncated Deuteronomy. I can come up and read to you in a minute. But this is everything she wrote in my response. She says, everything they said was written down in scripture. Speaking of like Elijah and the prophets, I said, can you show me that in scripture? Because you can't. It's not there. She is going beyond what is written. And we'll see in a minute. That's a problem. She says, look to God's instructions and teaching. People who contradict his words are completely in the dark. First Corinthians 4.16 says, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think what is beyond written and that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. Uh, so this is an interesting passage, and I have seen Protestants use this in the past to try and push the idea of sola scriptura, don't go but beyond what is written. Uh, but first off, note that Paul uh, doesn't speak about scripture in this verse. Um, and I'm going to have to pause this video to take care of something for my wife, so hang on. All right, I'm back. Not that you noticed because, you know, 
the miracle of pausing. Anyway, um, so I said, first off, Paul doesn't mention scripture or the Bible anywhere in this passage. So you're already reading into the text what it is you want to be there rather than what is there. Clearly in that very text, Paul is speaking of people being puffed up against each other. I don't think I actually finished this full thought because I kept going back and forth. But I mean, he's he's literally writing about this because he doesn't want people getting full of themselves. Um, and I said, you know, we can go deeper because even if he does mean scripture, he'd only mean the Old Testament scriptures. First off, every time the word uh, Paul uses the word grapho here, uh, which is the word for written, he's referring to the Old Testament. Here's a here's a link to Blue Letter Bible, which is a great little concordance where you can actually like look up the Greek text and find where it's used. And um, anyway, every time Paul uses the word grapho, it means uh, the Old Testament scriptures. So even if he's speaking about scripture here, he's speaking about the Old Testament scriptures. Um, and again, you can check in Romans to see that. So at the very best, he's writing a letter uh, and his letter uh, of which he's writing is not even including his own uh, letter. Uh, which is the first letter to the Corinthians, let alone the second one that he hadn't written yet, right? And of course, uh, if he's meaning exactly what he's claiming to mean, then scripture itself teaches error because Paul admonishes the Thessalonians in that famous passage elsewhere where he says, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught by us, either by an oral statement or by a letter of ours. Um, and then I said this, and again, the canon of scriptures is not written in scripture, so it's already beyond what is written. And that's just logically true. And then it got kind of fun because actually uh, I found a great conversation about this online. I was doing a little bit. I, I often will do a little bit of research just to see if there's something I'm not picking out in uh, in the scriptures um, or in the text or, or whatnot. And it was a great conversation about this, how there's so many Protestant reformers who didn't read this uh, as being a proof text of Sola Scriptura, even as they take Sola Scriptura as being um, a crucial text for them or a, a crucial uh, doctrine for them. Right. So I gave a quote by Calvin down here uh, talking about how he understands Paul's readings or Paul's writing here in this particular passage. And it's definitely not. And I can give like 10 more uh, different Protestant reformers, the Geneva study Bible, uh, Wesley, Gill, Henry, etc. All of these, uh, you know, earlier reformers and even later reformers uh, that don't understand it that way. So her interpretation already from people who should be on her side is, 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 is doubtful. Calvin thought Paul was telling them not to go beyond what he he was specifically writing to them uh, or uh, the OT, Old Testament proofs for scripture. Anyway, then she quotes this famous passage from Deuteronomy 1. I quote this all the time. Um, it says, uh, if anyone removes from the words, so here, here's the full text. I told you I should go up and read it. Uh, now then, listen, Israel, to these decrees and regulations I'm about to teach you. Obey them that you may live so you may enter and occupy the land of the Lord, the God of your ancestors he's given to you. Do not add to or subtract from these commands I am giving you. Just obey the commands of the Lord that I am giving you. And actually, this isn't even the full passage because um, elsewhere it makes a Unless I just missed it up here. Uh, I knew what she was quoting. I knew what she was going for, uh, even though I wasn't seeing it. I guess it's, yeah, do not add or subtract from these commands I'm giving to you. I guess that really is is it. Uh, okay, here we go. And he's going, so I solemnly describe everyone who reads these words of prophecy written in this book. If anyone adds to them or takes them, God will uh, add to that person the plagues. Okay, so the, here's the passage from Revelation. I didn't even realize that she was quoting this. I thought she was summarizing initially if anyone removes from the words from this prophecy. So here we have Deuteronomy and here we have Revelation. Now, what's interesting about this is if you read the, the Deuteronomy passage, um, she says this, she summarizes it. These are his words. He warns against distorting them in any way, whether through additions, subtractions, falsifications, alterations, intentional misinterpretations. Is this becoming clear to you? We must be careful to handle the Bible with care and reverence so as not to distort its meaning. This is sola scriptura. No, it's not. Nothing in that passage had anything to do with the Bible only. 
right? Uh, and I said this, this was a justification of the Sadducees that they used to reject all of the books outside the Torah. This is why they poke fun at Jesus for accepting the Septuagint uh, with its books like Tobit in it. And they actually bring uh, a riddle to Jesus about the the woman with seven husbands. Uh, and you, they say, you know, in, in heaven, whose, uh, whose wife is she going to be? Because they thought that the resurrection was sad. Uh, or sorry, but the resurrection was false. And that's sad, you see. That's how you remember who the Sadducees are. Um, it's one of those, you know, Bible study mnemonic devices. Um, and so they they want to sh- they want to show Jesus is wrong in two ways, both as his acceptance of a canon outside of the Torah and also uh, in his um, his acceptance of this or his teaching of this idea of the resurrection. So they bring him this, this should be defeater, you know, who's, is she going to have seven husbands in heaven? Is, are people going to be married in various different ways, depending on if they remarry after they've, they've, uh, you know, one, one spouse has died or whatnot. Could, you know, if a woman has a husband, he dies and the next husband dies and then she gets married and then she dies and then he gets a second wife and he gets a third wife. Is, is she going to be in this weird, like, polyamorous relationship with him and, and some of his wives and he and with some of her husbands or, or whatnot. Right. I mean, literally, I think that's, that's the type of, of nonsense they're seeing in the concept of the resurrection. They're trying to show this uh, being utterly ridiculous. And so they're bringing him the story of Tobit and Tobit literally starts with a, a woman who gets married to a man and there's like a demon. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a, it's, as far as we can tell, it's fiction, right? And that's fine. The Bible is made up of all sorts of kinds of writing. There's dry, boring military statistics. There's history, there's poetry, there's, uh, songs to be sung in worship. There's, um, census data, <laughs> dry, boring military statistics, genealogies. Uh, there's all sorts of writings in the Old Testament. Each one of them reveals to us something about God. And so the book of Tobit is almost certainly uh, a fictitious account, um, but it's trying to teach a couple of moral values. And Jesus, reading from the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, uh, had that in his Bible. And so the Sadducees come to Jesus and they poke fun at him for this belief, this the story of the woman who's married, her husband dies, so she marries his brother, he dies, his, he marries his brother, he dies, she marries his brother, and she marries like all seven brothers and all seven of them die. And clearly, if the resurrection is true, then she would be all seven of their wives uh, in in heaven, which doesn't make sense. And of course, Jesus just shoots this down. He says, you know, you don't understand the resurrection. They won't be given in marriage the way that they are in this life. Uh, so he answers it, you know, without denying uh, either Tobit or uh, the idea of the resurrection and marriage. Um, so literally that, you know, that prescription in, in, in the Torah, in in Deuteronomy is all they needed to say, well, we reject everything else after the Torah. Um, and I said the same words can be found at the end of Revelation. Again, I didn't actually, I was reading this quickly and, and writing a response and trying to get on with my day. Uh, and I said, you know, they serve as an ancient copyright warning against tampering with the text amongst other things. It does not prove sola scriptura. And even if the Jews didn't, and even for the Jews, it didn't. They had the Pharisees who sat on Moses' seat and passed down living tradition. And even in Jesus' day, what they taught was binding, even if what they did was wrong. Matthew 23, he has that whole screed against the scribes and Pharisees who sit on the seat of Moses, right? They bind up uh, heavy, heavy teachings that and they don't lift a finger to help you. And they like their, their seats of honor and they widen their phylacteries and all that stuff, right? They, they, they're in it for the earthly pleasures of being a, a rabbi. Uh, moreover, the idea that everything an apostle taught orally was eventually reduced into writing uh, is itself extra biblical. Show me that in scripture. Hint, here's me snarky again. It's in the same spot. It's in the same book that tells you what the canon of scripture is. She says, you can't be that dense if God says his literal, his word is truth. 
that you've yet to show me where God says scripture only and also where he tells you what books belong in scripture. I don't deny that scripture is important, infallible, inerrant, God-breathed, but you're going beyond what is written by assuming it's all that we have, both because scripture never makes that claim and simultaneously because it clearly shows Jesus establishing a church of new wineskins to receive the new wine, and he gives some men, not all, authority, and those men pass on that authority. All of that is in scripture, and it's... it's, it's um, verified by the history of the early church, by the first hundred years of, of Christianity, if you read the writings of the early church fathers. She says, he, and he says God is not a man that should lie, meaning all men lie. I don't really understand where this came from or why. I said, sure, though even here I think you're going beyond the text, because at least, at least logically this means God is not capable of lying as men are, not necessarily that all men lie, even if they, even if they do, if they are. Uh, all men are liars, even if they are. Uh, then he says, not to add to my words, lest I rebuke you and find you a liar. I said, right, so you're sticking with the Torah then. <laughs> Snarky. Uh, continues, do not go beyond what is written, which does not say don't go beyond scripture. And even if we say take written to mean the scriptures, again, it would mean uh, in Paul, it would only refer to the Old Testament. So this is just summarizing what I said earlier. Uh, and Isaiah says, anyone contradicting God's words is in darkness. I said, contradicting? Sure. And we maintain that we don't, as Catholics, in 2,000 years of teaching and tradition show that. And you don't get sola scriptura from all of that. You must be deliberately obtuse. That face you make when they got nothing. <laughs> I said, you've yet to show me one passage where it says that all we need is scripture, other than what you want that Pauline passage to say, which it clearly does not. And then I actually copied and pasted. I'm going to read this here because I think this is kind of an interesting discussion. Um... I shared this with one of the other mods who was blocking me, the same one that blocked the Christ picture above, this one right here. Um, and I wrote this. I said, and I, I dictated this, so there's probably some typos. I just copy and pasted it. Uh, I said, I was agnostic, and I was trying to figure out what the truth was and started to investigate Christianity. And I saw the major division was between Catholics and Protestants. And as I was learning more, I... I, I and more and more, this is what I really noticed. I said, Catholics would say we believe in X and Y, and Protestants would say we believe in A and B. And we find, or sorry, let me rephrase that. Catholics would say, we believe X and Y, and Protestants believe A and B, and we find beliefs A and B problematic. And then I would go to a Protestant source to find a response. Obviously, I can never find one because there's not just one voice in Protestantism, but I would still find answers. And the Protestant answer would be um, both... Uh, against X and Y, which the Catholics believe, and in favor of A and B. Um, or I would look for the Protestant response uh, against X and Y and in favor of A and B. And there would be many Protestants who would say, well, yes, we do believe in A and B, but we also believe in them because of C and D. Meanwhile, the Catholics teach burp, burp, and burp. <laughs> I, I found some weird symbols that weren't letters because I wanted to show just how like foreign this was. So then I go back to the Catholic source, and what I would find is they would have a pretty consistent answer against C and D, but then they would flatly deny that they even understood or found intelligible the claims that they believed in flirp, flirp, and flirp. Right. So this is like the this is the euro symbol, the section symbol, and the paragraph symbol. Um, Right. And that left me initially puzzled because either the Catholics were being incredibly deceitful in, in everything that they teach or they were being misinterpreted or, or misrepresented by the Protestants. So I would go back and forth and back and forth trying to figure out who had the strongest arguments for themselves and against the other. And seldom did I ever find Catholics misinterpreting Protestant theology. If they did, it was usually just an overgeneralization that didn't apply maybe to one particular denomination that somebody believed in, but was generally uh, correct. Uh, but when Protestants would make claims against Catholics, repeatedly their claims would be something I could find no actual teaching about in church history or doctrine or catechism or anywhere. 
And I began to see that one side, and I mean this in all charity, one side was lying. And it was the side that within itself, there was no real unity. They fought amongst themselves about many different topics. And the only thing that they could agree on was that the Catholics were wrong. And all we need is the Bible. I found it ironic that the papacy was such a source of unity amongst Protestants, and I came to understand that it was the case precisely because in order for any of them to have illicit claim to truth, Catholicism had to be wrong. So I turned to the other uh, hallmark, not hallmark, hallmark belief, Sola Scriptura, because of course, uh, the other Solas, you know, it, let me see where I search this. Because, of course, the other solas, you can't necessarily find all Protestants holding. Ah, but they all derive, ultimately, authority devolves back from the Bible alone. And then I realized that I could never find any verse in the Bible that told me the Bible was the sole source for Christian authority. And then I realized that couldn't be the case because the first Christians didn't even have it. And then I realized how unreasonable it was because most people throughout all of human history were illiterate and couldn't read and didn't own Bibles. This notion of sola scriptura was a novel invention post-printing press and couldn't be borne out in Scripture. Um, failing its own tests and which arose only because of advancements in the printing press. There's that point I was, I was trying to, I didn't realize I made it. I'm editorializing as I'm reading. Um, I could understand the logic of treating scripture as though it's the highest authority of real knowledge. In fact, as Catholics, we do that. I call it prima scriptura, right? It's the highest authority. Um, and that no doctrine or dogma should be contradicted. But that becomes problematic because both sides would use scripture to make their points. And if both sides, if you look at the evidence fairly, they can oftentimes make good points, right? So then you have to have a way to to, to break the tie, so to speak. Um, or at least if you're investigating from the outside and you're not sure what to believe in. Because again, for a long time, I didn't know which side to side with, right? I didn't, I didn't want to be Catholic. I was seeking out reasons to not be Catholic, in fact. Um, and then I realized that Jesus never said anything about writing things down. He never wrote anything down other than one time he drew in the sand, right? Uh, and a few... Uh, if any of the books in the New Testament ever claimed to be scriptures, few, if any of them ever did, you know, Mark doesn't, Jude doesn't, um, you know, uh, the book of Revelation does. And that was actually one that the early church had issues with. Um, they didn't know if it was inspired or not. But a lot of those uh, texts in the New Testament are presented as historical documents and letters. They're not presented as scripture and only treated as scripture uh, after the fact. There is a line in Peter's uh, letter, second letter, um, where he mentions that the ignorant distort the scriptures, uh, they distort Paul's words as they do the scriptures or the other scriptures, which seems to indicate that Peter himself viewed Paul Paul's letters as being scripture. And that's assuming that you accept, uh, first off, that that's the, the right interpretation of that passage, which again, I have a whole thing all about how it's hard to understand interpretation just by reading text. But also, um, it begs the question that, well, is Peter's uh, letter here scripture? And in fact, Second Peter was one of the ones that um, in the early church, we speak of the Deuterocanonicals in the Old Testament. That's the seven books that Catholics have that Protestants don't have. They call them the Apocrypha. There actually was a set of Apocrypha in the New Testament church as well. Um, some of them some of the writings uh, were widely received and used liturgically in, in the celebration of the Liturgy of the Word at the Mass in the first century, um, particularly the Gospels. Uh, people seemed very, very clear early on that the four Gospels were a very reliable account uh, of, of Jesus. And even then, again, they don't make a claim of necessarily being inspired Um but they are very reliable sources, these, these four Gospels, and it took the church canonizing them later and saying these are, in fact, inspired Scripture. That is nowhere in Scripture. The list of books that belong in Scripture is nowhere in Scripture. That Matthew is inspired, is not in Scripture. You are, by default, 
leaning on an outside source, an extra biblical source for that knowledge. And they just can't get this. So I said, then I realized that Jesus never said anything about writing things down and few of the books ever claimed to be scriptures, nor did they tell you what books belonged in scripture. That literally proves if you have eyes to read and ears to hear and a brain to think that the scriptures alone are not sufficient, right? Not so, I mean, they're useful and they're sufficient for certain things, right? Paul says they're, they're sufficient that you can be well equipped and for, for rebuking and reproof. Absolutely. And I'm not denying that, right? But they're not all that we have, because literally they can't be because they don't even explain themselves. And that's why I became Catholic. And then I went into a little bit of a, you know, back and forth there. So in this group, I've seen a lot of positions that I find unreasonable and I'm willing to discuss them and debate them in charity. However, I've also found that many people are slandering my character and insulting me and making boastful claims that I believe things that are simply not true because they're not willing to take the time to learn what we actually believe. It led me to believe that many people in this group have a very weak sort of faith in a God who is ultimately himself unreasonable. So she gives me some more quotes. Uh, everything they said was written down in scripture. Can you show me where scripture is? It's implied. And if you knew God, you would realize it. So here she's, she's making the assumption that she has extra biblical authority, right? She, she's got special revelation from God. That's giving her the clear, keen insight, uh, that nobody else is getting. And then she gives me that quote from Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God, useful for teaching what is true to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. I don't know what, Pat, what translation says, correct us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip uh, people for every good work. Sure. Great. Lovely. Scripture lacks nothing that we need to know. It doesn't say that. Uh, God is the one in charge of his word. Everything he does is perfect. I don't disagree with either of those lines, but God works in ways that we can see, right? In the Old Testament, you knew you in the Old Testament church, you knew what scriptures were scriptures in general because they were the ones that were accepted in the canon uh, at the council. And even then, there, uh, by the by the by the rabbis, and even then, there was debate over what belonged in the canon. It wasn't a settled issue. They never formally defined what the canon was, which is why Jesus and his apostles are using the Septuagint, which included these other texts, and are even quoting for them uh, in in various spots. Um, let's see here. Uh, it is implied that if you knew God, you would realize it. Right. So not in scripture. Got it. <laughs> what do you think God's instructions and teaching are? You are truly in darkness if you don't recognize this. Just stop there. That's out of context. That's what you do with scripture. And it makes it a lie. And then I quoted her. All scripture is inspired by God. Sure. But Ephesians 4 says that about the church too. And he gave that, and, and his gifts were that some should be apostles, some should be prophets, some should be evangelists, some should be pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of mercy, building up the body of Christ until we should obtain the full unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the cunning of men and their craftful craftiness in deceitful wiles. So he gives to the church teachers and pastors. And these are people in the early church. You would know who your teachers, your pastors were, your, your overseers, Episcopal, your bishops. Those are all the same name for the same category. Your priests or presbyteral, your presbyters, elders. This is another category, right? Because they were ordained by the laying on of hands, right? And that's how you knew, oh, this guy, he was ordained by Paul or he was ordained by Peter. And it's not that he should have a higher honor because Peter ordained him or Paul ordained him or whatever, but it shows you that they were in communion with the apostolic men. And then they in turn, and Paul gives this example to Timothy. He actually tells Timothy, to, uh, he talks about four different levels of, he says, what I have entrusted to you, 
So he's speaking of himself and Timothy also entrust to other men who can then further entrust it to other men. Like literally he's speaking of passing this on in a tradition that is handed down. And that is why the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth, as Paul says in his letters. Scripture being useful and able to equip is great, but that doesn't make the claim that it's the sole source of authority. That is, it, it is a source of authority and even the highest source of authority. And then I accidentally hit my keys and I said, Zog Upi Zum. <laughs> I don't know what that means. And thus ended our, our discussion. She says, now that I see what I'm dealing with, I give you over to your dark mind. God tells me to mark you. Shake, shake, shake. I'm guessing that's her shaking the dust from her feet. And she hasn't looked at it since. Uh, but I, I responded, LOL. I literally just quoted scripture back to you and showed you what you said is wrong. Your interpretation of scripture is just that, yours. It's not up for mere personal interpretation, especially when that interpretation flies in the face of the truth. So did you at least read all that I posted above or did you just skim it? I took the time to go line by line through yours. Were you a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness? I'd handle each objection that you gave me. But in your prideful self-righteousness, and this is where I started to get just a little upset, um, but I'm trying, you, know, you have to call people out, right? You do have to rebuke them. And I know she views herself as rebuking me. So I'm trying to show what this is. You, you just tell me I've got a dark mind because I don't agree with you. And that's literally what happened. She didn't deal with any of the scriptures I told her. She didn't answer any of the objections I gave her. Um, you know, she, I said, you're the pot calling the kettle black, except in this case, the kettle's a steam, the steel kettle. So it's not even black. It was the joke. And then I pointed out one last thing. I said, it took us 24 hours to go from you praising my willingness to submit to your admin's legit authority to banning me and blocking me. I've been blocked from the group. Let that sink in. And then I said, I'm going to change her name. So again, please respect her privacy. Anyway, I shot this video and I'll shoot some others. I engage in a lot of online debate and, and, and apologetics. It's it's my passion. It's my hobby. It's what I love to do. Um, and hopefully in in hearing this, what you're hearing is, is how somebody handles these arguments. I'm not saying I'm handling them the best. Um, and I probably could have been more charitable in this discussion than I was in all fairness. But no, first off, there's always an answer out there. And sometimes you just have to get people to understand that they're not asking the right questions. And sometimes you can't do that by yourself. And so then you have to bear in mind what Paul says, right? Uh, he gives that, that, that line, I planted Apollos waters, but it's the Holy Spirit that makes it grow. And at the end of the day, I'm either planting seeds or watering seeds that have been planted. Maybe I'm planting seeds and watering them a little bit. I'm not expecting to see this fruit grow myself, um, but I'm hoping that over time, some of the things I've said will, they'll sink in slowly, right? It's a process, right? I think a lot of, this is, this is me on my soapbox for a second here. I think a lot of Protestants really like the faith alone confession, kneel down, say the sinner's prayer, give your life to Jesus idea, because literally it makes them feel like they're winning souls for Christ. Because as soon as they have the sola fide notion, as soon as you assert faith in God, you're saved no matter what. Not all, obviously not all, not all, not all, but many, many do. Many on this board that I've been talking to do. And it makes them feel victorious and everyone likes to feel victorious. But the problem is, and I've said this on that board many times, our, our life in Christ begins with faith. That's like the first step, but they confuse the beginning of the race with its continuation and its conclusion. There's so many passages in scripture that speak about abiding and remaining, lest you be thrown out or tossed out or cut off or whatever it is. Scripture is very, very clear in lots of places. Uh, second, P second Peter 2.20 being one uh, where he, he literally says, it's it's worse for you if you have given up the world. Um, I don't know if I post it in here or not. Um, I don't think I'll be able to find it. Hang on a second. I'll, I'll find it for you. Let me pause for just a second. You won't be able to. I'll, I'll put it up in this, in this window. So this is 2 Peter 2. 
verses 20. We'll just go with the NIV. I don't know how this translation reads, but whatever. Uh, he says this, if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and then are in, again entangled in it and are overcome, they're worse off in the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed to them. Uh, Jesus makes a similar, oh, I can't shoot. Um, I'll just paste this in here. Hang on. Jesus makes a similar statement in Luke, and he actually talks about, uh, this is three eschatological parables. These are eschatology, eschatology is talking about the end times and everything else. And these are three different parables uh, that talk about the end times, right? Um, and he, he's very, very clear uh, about what he's talking about with the rich fool. And, you know, God says, you fool, this very night your life will be taken from you. Uh, this is how it'll be forever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. So he's, he's literally setting this all up with a discussion about uh, the end times are dying. And then he gives, you know, a discussion about, uh, you know, being ready with your lamps burning for when the master comes home. And Peter says, are you telling this parable to us or to everybody? And then Jesus says this, um, it is who then is the faithful and wise manager. And this is funny because the word he used here is steward and, and Peter is given the keys to the kingdom. He is the steward of the kingdom. Uh, harking all the way back again to Isaiah 22, the bearer of the keys who can open and no one can shut. He can shut. No one can open. He can bind. No one can loose, etc. Right. Um, and the Lord answers, who then is the faithful and wise steward or manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them food. And I've said this before, but you're going to notice four different, four different groups here, four different people. Um, it will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns, uh, who the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food and, and allowance at the proper times, etc. So you have the one who knows the will of the master and does it. Um, truly, I say to you that he'll be put in charge of all of his possessions. The master will put him in charge of all the possessions. But suppose the servant, this is the second one, says to himself, my master is taking a long time coming. And then he begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour in which he's not aware. And he will cut him into pieces. Literally, uh, the dichotomia is, is the word in Greek here. It means to cut him in half. Literally, he will cut him in half and assign him a place with the unbelievers, right? This isn't just a regular house with a master and some stewards. But then he gives two more examples. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. So as opposed to the one who knows it and does the opposite, this is the one who knows it and simply doesn't do it. But the one who does not know and, and does things deserving of punishment will be beaten with very few blows, meaning few, if any, blows, right? And this is where we get the concept of invincible ignorance, right? God is a God who of, of justice and mercy and love. And he's not looking. The Protestant understanding of God that really frustrates me is the idea that he's the big sky daddy who wants to spank you whenever you do wrong. And he's a wrathful, vengeful, angry God. You know, God identifies himself as love and he wills the salvation of all we know that he's omnipotent so he makes it possible right that's the picture of god abba father this idea of the vengeful wrathful god looking for any excuse to damn us to hell is much closer to allah the 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 muslim conception of god obviously i understand that christians who speak arabic speak of god as allah this is what the word means it means god but um literally this protestant understanding is far closer to uh, a Muslim understanding of God in some capacities. Obviously, I mean, they still understand Jesus Christ is God incarnate and everything else, which is totally out of line with the Protestants or, or with the with the Muslims. So I'm not trying to make the claim that they're you know denying those sorts of fundamental truths, but their understanding of God is much more just a legalistic God, you know. And and whereas we understand God is is bringing reconciliation to the world, he even says, you know, Paul says we have this ministry of reconciliation. Well, they they view it simply as a um, 
a penal system, right? It's, it's punishment. And, and, you know, Christ simply bears the punishment for us and then covers us so that, you know, God's wrath is poured out on him rather than us because God is a big, angry, wrathful God. And that's just not the picture that scripture is actually presenting. It does use strong language because it wants to encourage us to do the good and avoid the evil in lots of places. But the ultimate underlying current of scripture is that God is a God of love, right? And literally in Jesus's words right here, he's telling you that people who don't know uh, are going to be held a lot less culpable for their ignorance and, and for their false beliefs than the people who do know, right? Because from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. From the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. But the one who hasn't been given anything, we're not going to expect much from him, right? And that that flies right in line with the the parable of the 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 guy who hires the day waiter, the day laborers and agrees to pay him wage. He hires some at eight in the morning, hires some at 10, hires some at 12, hires some at two, hires some at four. And when he comes time to pay them, that's not the time frames, but it's more or less the same, right? He starts with the ones who started working latest first. So the people who've only worked for like an hour in the field, he pays them a full day's wage because that was his agreement with them. And then the people who, who got hired first at the beginning of the day were like, oh, well, then uh, we should get paid even more. It's exciting. We'll see what happens. And of course, when it comes to be their time, they get paid the same amount and they're bitter, right? This is also, of course, a parable for you know the, the Jews uh, who have uh, been God's people longer, right? Uh, but they, they get upset. And they say, this is not, this is not justice and not fair. How can you pay them the same thing you pay us when they came in so late and we've been here all, you know, being faithful stewards this whole time. And of course he makes the point, you know, is it not my money to do with as I see fit? Did we not have an, agree an agreement, an arrangement that was fair that you agreed to freely? It's the free market, right? Um, and so literally the whole point there is God can work outside of what he gives us. And he's, he's always looking for a way to be extra just, extra kind, extra merciful to us. And that's if if nothing else i think that's the biggest thing that that hurts my heart when i talk to protestants is they have many of them have this understanding of god um as the big angry guy now some of them have the exact opposite this weird milk toast god the the, the episcopals are terrible about this who just wants you to have fun uh the, the anglican church in england the low church church um recently installed like this big carnival ride in one of their cathedrals and the bishop the bishop gave um he gave his homily while sitting on this big lit up carnival slide called the Helter Skelter. And he says, God is like an amusement park attraction. He wants us to enjoy him and enjoy the things of life and everything else. And certainly there are good things in life that are worth enjoying. Uh, and every good that we experience is a participation in some capacity in, in the life of Christ, even the goods that are illicit, uh, that which is good in them. Um, you know, if we're, we're breaking the law or stealing or, you know, even, even seeking to murder, you know, everybody, this is the funny thing. Everybody seeks the good all the time. We're just oftentimes mistaking a lower good for a higher good, right? So the person who cheats on his wife, he sees the good in, in sexual relationship, right? But he, he makes that good, which is a lower good, sub, uh, over and above the good of being obedient and, and faithful husband and, and, and a model of Christ and everything else. So he prefers a lower good, which is based sexual pleasure over the higher good, which orders the, the human, um, passions, you know, in, in a way that, that, keeps them from, from ruling our day. Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and end this video here. I really just wanted to take you through that, that, uh, passage, but I want to give you a couple of thoughts at the end. Now that this video is nice and long, obviously, if you like what I'm doing, feel free to give me a like and a, and a subscribe down below. If you've got any questions or comments, you can email me in the description. There's a, an email that goes to me. If you ever want me to answer a, a question for you, uh, obviously uh, if you have any questions, you can also 
comment down below. And uh, yeah, I think I'm going to go ahead and end this here. So God love you. Bye-bye.